Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. We are uh, super glad that you are here today. And so uh, with that, I just want to start off by saying this. There are a few people that I want to address today. There are a few different people that I want to address today. Uh, and maybe as, uh, as we begin, you can uh, sit back and ask yourself, hey, which one of these are me? Uh, where am I at uh, today? Some of you are here and you profess faith in Jesus. Some of you are here and you consider yourself a follow you, follower of Jesus. You are um, a, a quote-unquote Christian. You have heard the word of the truth, the, the good news of salvation as is spoken in the text, and you have believed. You have believed in God. Your eyes are on God's promises, and you have organized your life around this hope. Maybe that is you today. And if that's you, I want to cheer you on. My hope today is that we can cheer you on in that, that you would continue to place your hope in Jesus, that you would continue to organize your life around the things of God. Others are here today, and maybe you profess faith. Maybe you would also consider yourself a believer, and you profess faith, but you hold back a little bit. There are things that, that there are parts of your life, there's access that's just not granted. There, there, there are things that, that you haven't allowed uh, uh, the, the, the person of Jesus to permeate in your life. There is walls that are up. There's locks on some doors in your house. Maybe it's because you're nervous and you're unsure. You're not sure what it's like, man, if I actually place all of my faith in Jesus, if I, if I, if I organize my life around this, is God going to come through? There are things that you're still holding on to, you still grasp on to, and you haven't given away. If that's you today, I pray that you're encouraged. Perhaps some of those barriers will be removed, and you'll learn today to trust God. That's my hope, that those doors would be opened up, that the locks would be taken off, that there's areas of your life that maybe the, 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 that are just kind of exist in the shadows that you'll allow the light of Jesus to just shine on in order to free you and bring about all that God has for you. And finally, <clears throat> you may be here today questioning this whole Christian thing. You might be here today and saying, man, I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I don't know about, I don't know if I believe this. Maybe you've, you've met some Christians, you've heard about Jesus, and you're curious. You've seen, you've seen the fruit and the joy and, and, and maybe some of the peace that, that, that followers of Jesus has, and you say, man, I, I want to know more about that. I'm interested in this person, Jesus. Maybe you've seen some, some poor things from Christians, and you're like, man, I'm not sure if I'm down with all that. Maybe, that you're, maybe you're here today because you're actually hoping that you can find some answers. I hope that you'll meet Jesus today. And I can't promise that all of your questions will ever be answered when you follow Jesus. But what I do know is that when you meet him, somehow that's okay. And so that's my hope for you today. So I don't know which one of those people you are and which, um, which place you find yourself in as we 
uh, as you sit in a church that's gathered around the person of Jesus, that's uh, centered around the teaching of the Word of God that, 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 that really uh, exalts the person of Jesus and calls people to Him. I don't know where you are at today, but I pray that, uh, uh, that God would meet you here. And if you are new to the comments, uh, and if this is your first time here, I do want to let you know that there's a QR code on the back of the seats. We love to get to know you, and we love to serve you in any way that we can. And there's a connect card on there that if you fill out, uh, one of us will reach out to you, and we can follow up. With, with that being said, uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. So here's a question I had just proposed for us um, as I was prepping. Have you ever had a moment where you questioned the value of your values and wondered if they're as valuable as you valued them to be? Have you ever had a moment <laughs> that you've questioned your values, the value of your values, and wondered if they're as valuable as you valued them to be? And I wonder, even in this moment, if this is one of those sobering moments that cause us to question the value of our values and, and wonder and, and, and really ask that question if they are as valuable as we value them to be. This is a, a regular occurrence in my life and probably a regular occurrence in yours. And usually we need to, to do some digging in order to identify how we came to value certain things in order to discern whether or not they're valuable at all. Sometimes we don't just, we don't know why we value the things that we value, and we have to actually do some digging. We have to dig into really our core being to figure out why do I even value the things that I value. Sometimes we come to see that we cherish things that aren't that valuable. And sometimes we have these values because someone or some group of people told us that they were valuable. We don't know. Where do we get these values? And they don't just kind of pop out of the air. We develop our values, whether it be in, in, in culture, maybe they're family values, cultural values. These can be political values and even religious or theological values that aren't valuable or good for us. There are tons of values that we hold that we don't we either don't know where we got them or once we figure out what they are, we realize that they aren't good for us. And in these instances, our values need to change. Sometimes in this process of digging and discovery, things that once seem invaluable lose importance and other things that were never valuable to us in the past embed their way into the fabric of our being and become the invaluable things that we hold on to for a lifetime. There come points in our life where as we, we, we process and discern the things that we hold as values, that we realize there's some things that just need to fall off that aren't valuable to us, that aren't that valuable, and there, and there are new things that are replaced that end up becoming values that we hold on to for the rest of our lives. Other times, however, we come to see that our values are good, especially 
when our values are in line with the things that God values because God is good. These values may need to be pondered so that we don't just hold them, but are formed by them. But they should never be questioned because the one who told us they are valuable holds the universe in his hands and has extended his hand of welcome to us. His pierced hands, hospitable at the core. And yet, even though we shouldn't question these values, there are times when we still question the values of God. There are times when we still wonder if it's worth it. Wonder if, if, God, if what God values for us is good and right and true. Like many of you, I'm not immune to questioning God. I'm, I'm not immune to questioning God. There are plenty of times when I'm scared or unsure. There are times that, that I'm afraid that, I'm, that I'll get the short end of the stick or, or screw things up beyond be repaired. There are times when I think if I trust God in the midst of uncertainty, if I trust God with, with doing the things that God is calling us to do, I'm, I'm afraid that, I'm gonna, that it's not going to go well for me. That somehow God is not going to give me the things that I need or the things that are good for me. I'm afraid that if I give everything to God, if I, if, I, if I give my life over to the king of the universe and trust him with the things that he says are valuable, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out. Other times, I simply just want what I want, and I lose sight of how the world that God created works. I cross boundaries, I blow through stop signs, and I get myself pretty tangled up, not realizing so until I'm stuck. Sometimes even having to cut the string because the knot is too tight and too difficult to figure out. Sometimes I don't get it right. Sometimes I don't trust God. Sometimes I question God and I, and I, and I place all my hope in a value that does not come from God. But I don't always get it wrong though. It's not that all the, I don't always get it wrong. Sometimes I do get it right. Sometimes I trust God and I play into his values. I live into the things that he tells me is right. And I've also seen time and time again how valuing the things of God are good for me because God is good and has my best interest in mind. There's one particular time of, of, of many that I recall when I was an apprentice coming up in the, in the trades. I was a, uh, I, I'm, part, I, I'm a plumber by, by trade, a union plumber by trade, and I went through a five-year apprenticeship. And so one of the things that you do through that apprenticeship is you go to school for five years and then you work as an apprentice under uh, other journeymen or foremen. Um, and, uh, and, and there was a time when I was coming up in the trade as an apprentice where the values that, that God had given me uh, that I knew were true, that I knew were right, that trusting God came up into question, and I was unsure. I remember this, and I learned a valuable lesson in this. <clears throat> so there's a, in, in construction sites, there's, uh, there are, especially on large-scale construction uh, and the type of construction that, that, that I'm accustomed to doing, on construction sites, there is usually a, a, a safety officer on the construction site. 
uh, probably for different reasons. I, I think one of, the, one of the main reasons that there's a safety officer is because it lowers uh, the insurance rate on the job, right? And so what happens is if they hire a full-time safety guy, they get better insurance rates, people get hurt less, right? And so there's a safety officer. And when you go through, uh, when you go, when you come onto the job and you go through an orientation, they tell you all the things that you're not supposed to do and the procedures uh, that you're supposed to follow when you're doing them. Well, there was a time uh, when I needed a bunch of uh, uh, hangers that were prefabbed, prefabricated. So a hanger is like basically you hang the pipe off of it. There's something here somewhere, but you hang the pipe off of it. And so uh, in, in large-scale construction, what they do is they, they prefabricate a ton of different things. And so they had all of these prefabricated hangers on, uh, on this cart that would hold the hangers. And, uh, and I needed them... I needed them lift, uh, lifted over this like this like big like gap of uh, 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 onto this loading dock with a forklift, and and uh, and, there, and and it, and in order to reach them, there were some safety barricades that needed to be removed. Okay, and so I asked I asked the safety guy, hey, uh, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have the the iron worker. I let this iron work. I asked this iron worker to help me. Uh, use the forklift and upload them because we didn't have one on site. And so he said, okay, you can do it, but I want you to make sure that you tie off. And so what happens, if you remove a safety barricade, uh, barricade and you're close to an edge, you basically have to wear a safety harness and then tie off. And so he's like, you can do it, but you have to tie off. And I was like, man, I don't want to tie off. Like, like in my head, I was thinking like, all I got is going to take two seconds. The iron worker, all he's got to do is he's got to lift up the hangers. He has to extend out, drop the hangers onto the, uh, onto the loading dock, and we're good. We can do this in like two minutes. The dude will never know we didn't tie off, right? And so I'm like, all right. So I, I talked to the iron worker. I'm like, hey, here's what you're going to do. I'm, I'm going to remove the barricade. You're just going to do it, and we'll just do it quick. He's like, all right, cool. So he, so he, so we do it. We just, we go for it. We, we, uh, we remove the barricade and the iron workers lifting the, he's lifting this big old, this big old, uh, um, cart with all these hangers on it over this crazy like gap, right? Like, like trying to get onto a loading dock. And I see it, I see it coming. <clears throat> he's getting to the edge and you got to think like hangers, like, like, uh, hangers for plumbing are like, it's a ton of metal pieces, right? And so I want you to think of like, like imagine like a, uh, imagine like a bucket full of coins, okay? And the sound it would make if it fell. And so he's lifting it over and it's just, and I just see it kind of going, right? And then all of a sudden just boom, he drops, the, he drops it. And then just the, the crazy is like, right? Like sounds everywhere, falls everywhere. And who comes around the corner? <clears throat> the safety guy, okay? The safety guy comes around the corner and he's looking at me and his first question was, why aren't you tied off? And I was like, oh no, I'm done, right? And so I just, I looked at him blank faced, right? And he runs, he just darts straight to my foreman's office, runs into the foreman's office and screaming at him. And I'm like, man, I better go in there. And I'm telling, and I'm with my journeyman. So I'm an apprentice, I'm with the journeyman. The journeyman follows me behind there, and he's looking at me like, bro, how are we going to explain this one? And I'm like, you're the journeyman. I'm the apprentice. You know, it's your fault. 
<clears throat> you know, like, why do I have to take the blame for this? You know, you should have told me no, you know. And so we go in there. So we, I run into the foreman's office, and then the dude turns around, the safety guy turns around and just starts screaming at me at the top of his lungs, cussing at me, and my foreman's looking at me, like, because he, he was talking to my foreman. He turns around, looks at, me, looks at me, and I'm looking at my foreman, and he's got death in his eyes, like, you're done, right? <clears throat> and I'm like, man, this is bad, right? And he's screaming at me, and then one, he just gets to this point, <clears throat> and he asks me, he's like, at the top of his lungs, he's like, why didn't you tie off? Like, like, why didn't you tie off? I told you to tie off. Why didn't you tie off? And it was in that moment, in like a split second, the values that I knew to be true from what I know in the scriptures just flew through my mind. And I was like, I don't know about that one. Right? It was a moment when, when I was in the position to say, God, I know You're saying this, but the values of what God has in front of me are coming up against this lived reality that I'm about to experience. And I look back at my journeyman and he's just like, don't do it, right? And he's like, why didn't you do it? Like, why didn't you talk? And he just a plain question. I mean, imagine like dude was like spitting, like red faced, screaming. And I was like, the thought that just crossed in my mind was, the truth will set you free. And I'm like, the truth will set you free. And I'm like, are you sure about this? <laughs> and so I just said, plain as day, I said, because I was lazy. Because <laughs> I didn't want to, I was lazy. And I remember in that moment, seeing and learning in one of the most profound ways, the truth <clears throat> about what this passage teaches us today. The truth about what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us today, when our values, when the values of the world that we are in come up against the the cultural and lived experience that we have. The safety guy looked at me and he said, he went from screaming at 100 miles an hour, like spitting in my face, like he he just, his whole demeanor changed. And he said, man, bro, I just don't want you to get hurt. (laughs) He's like, don't do that again, okay? And I'm like, I, <laughs> I was like, all right. And he walked out and he left. And I learned in that moment that what was, what was to be true about following Jesus was that, that, that what I learned that was true about following Jesus is that the values of the kingdom make no sense in, 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 the, in the face of the values of the world, but God's way is always better. During this time, not only did I, did I question my own values, there were other values being proposed and pressured. I had, my, I had my journeyman looking at me saying, bro, you have to make up some kind of story because if you can't solve this one, we're both getting fired and our jobs are done. I had my foreman looking at me saying, dude, I don't know what you did, but if, if like, I don't know how you're going to fix this one, but you can get us in a lot of trouble on this job. And yet, what God spoke to me was true, and it turned out for my good, as opposed to what is common amongst men in this world, even when it's scary or seemingly detrimental to what I want. The Ephesian Christians that Paul addressed in this letter were like us. They were stuck between Two different worlds with opposing values and contradictory promises to stake their lives upon. 
Consider their context. Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia and a busy commercial port. It was also the headquarters of the cult of Diana or Artemis, also known as Artemis, whose temple had become one of the seven wonders of the world, drawing people from everywhere, making Ephesus a profitable city simply by existing. In fact, it was so profitable, the temple of Diana was so profitable that silversmiths could make a living by selling models of the temple to those who would constantly come and frequent Ephesus. Like any metropolitan or port city, it was diverse and filled with competing values. Like any diverse city, there were social ills, there were issues going on, right, between classes in the city, there were prejudices, right, different, different tribal distinctions and, 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 and what we would consider in our day and kind of like modern uh, United States, like racial issues going on, right? There were all kinds of different conflicts going on, which later in the letter we'll see is one of Paul's greatest goals for writing. He writes to deal with these issues because the kingdom of God has no room for them. And then here comes Paul to Ephesus. He finds his way to Ephesus in this metropolitan city with all of these contradictory things happening, right? With all of these problems, this profitable city where the temple of Diana is making money for everyone. Here comes Paul to Ephesus, introducing these Ephesians to a king who is greater than Diana, whose rule and reign is everlasting, and who has something to say about how these Ephesians should live their lives. He comes into the city not saying that, here, I'm going to bring to you another God like the gods that you are worshiping. He comes saying, I'm not giving you another option amongst the many. You have the Apostle Paul coming to a metropolitan, diverse city with a unique message saying it actually has bearing on everyone. And not only does he say it has bearing on everyone, he says, the king who I tell you about comes even up against Diana, who your whole city is built upon. And like us, they probably have questions. They're faced with opposition and competing values. They have families of origin. They have local pressures, political pressures, ideological pressures, and social pressures influencing their decisions and telling them what to value. In Ephesus, it was costly to follow Jesus, and they had to choose to do so in the midst of external pressures and cultural hopes. In fact, consider an early account of how things played out and one of the things that could be influencing them. We read about it in Acts chapter 19, verse 23 through 27. About that time, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a riot that happened in Ephesus here, and it tells us why. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. The way is, 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 is you know, in our generation, we talk about like being Christian. The way is like what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business uh, for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, 
You know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence comes to the verge of ruin. The very one all of Asia and the world worships. So you see, what, what, what's happening here? Paul, as he's going and he's preaching the supremacy of Jesus, that King Jesus stands even against Artemis, not only is it just affecting like what people believe, it's affecting their daily lives. It's costly. It's affecting their pockets and their bank accounts. And especially in a capitalistic society like America, you know that money talks. Like the moment we start affecting people's bank accounts and money, the moment that we start talking about addressing social issues and dealing all, and it's, and it's getting into people's pockets, like riots start happening, right? That's what was happening here. That's what was happening here. And it's in the midst of such conflict and pressure <clears throat> that Paul ponders the promises of God in order to develop hope in these Christians so that they may be formed into the people whom God is calling them to be for their good and for the good of the world around them. In summary, in this passage, Paul, what we see happening in this passage, as you, as you read this, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're not going to get that just from this message. You might have to go home and read through the, uh, through the letter to the Ephesians. Maybe go home and read through that first passage and kind of sense it. Right. But when you when you when you read this passage in context, you get the sense of kind of what Paul's doing. And what you sense is that Paul is opening the door to the kingdom. He, he, op he, he kind of like walks them over to the kingdom. He opens the door to the kingdom. He grabs the, the believers in Ephesus by the hand, walks them over and allows them to take a peek. He wants them to see. He wants them to see into the kingdom of God. He wants them to grasp for a moment what God has for them so that they don't live their lives as if their future is up to them to define or determine like the world around them. Instead, Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to know that God has great things in store for them. He wants them to know that their future is secure because it's in God's hands and not theirs. And since this is true, it's not only important, it's both wise and imperative that these Christians live in light of the promises of God in a world that's full of empty promises and shifting power dynamics that are constantly and continuously being redefined. Do we not need this same guidance today? <clears throat> it's here that Paul offers us two promises rooted in God's one purpose to bring everything together in Christ. He offers us two promises rooted in God's one purposes, one purpose to bring everything together in Christ. Before we get to the promises, let's first draw our attention to God's one purpose, which Paul speaks of directly before today's passage. In chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ 
as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Plainly speaking, I want to tell you what this means. Here's what it means. It means that one day, this is true, guys, as we're sitting here today in the midst of, of uncertainty, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of like the fragility of life, right? Here, here's what it's saying. It's saying that in one day, God is going to make all things new. He's saying that one day God is going to make everything new. It means that the broken things in this world, the disappointments, and the unmet expectations. I don't know about you. Have you ever had disappointments and unmet expectations? He's saying that in the midst of the disappointments and unmet expectations, all of it will be swallowed up by Christ's victory. That's what Paul's saying here in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And in the earthly ministry of Jesus, did we not get a taste of what heaven is like? We see it. We see the sick being healed. We see Jesus kind of grabbing onto heaven in the world, right? And we see it happening. We see the sick being healed. We see those in bondage being set free. We see that, that evil rulers have no power over God's people. We see that death doesn't have the final say when Jesus goes into the grave and just like storms through the gates of death. And we see God give dignity and value to all. There's no more tribal superiority, and there's no more need to grind after things that God freely offers. This is a picture of what heaven is like, and we see it in Jesus. Furthermore, there is a king who is willing to suffer all things for those whom he calls his. In fact, he doesn't just call him, call them friends or subjects. Well, he does, right? In fact, he calls believers, or he, or he doesn't just call them subjects. He calls them friends. He calls them family. And he calls them heirs of his kingdom. He shares his, his kingdom with his subjects and judges rightly and generously. What we saw in Jesus, if you get a picture of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus coming and incarnating and being a man, what we see in Jesus is one hand in heaven and one hand in the world. And we saw what happens when heaven breaks through and it's glorious and it's the future of God's people. And it is this future that serves as the substance of God's two promises that are spelled out in this passage and that Paul shows us serves as the directional thrust of the Christian life. And so if you're a Christian today, as I mentioned earlier, and you need to be cheered on, this is what Paul is trying to cheer Christians on with in this passage. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to get them to glimpse into heaven, to, to remember and to ponder and to picture Jesus and to see what it's like when heaven meets earth. And he's saying that is your future and that is your hope. Keep going. And if you are here today and you're, a, and, you're, and you're a follower of Jesus, you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but you're still unsure and you don't know, should I give it all? That's what he is trying to show you, that you can give it all because that's what heaven is like. And if you are here today and you have no hope, this is the hope that is ours that we want you to have as well. Now let's consider these two promises and make some simple points for life. The first promise is in verse 11. We can read it. <clears throat> in him, 
we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. The first thing that God promises us is an inheritance. And it says here in this passage that it's something that, that he decided beforehand to give us. That the inheritance that, that we have is, is not something that we have earned or something that we had to go to God and, 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 be, and be seated. Or I don't know how to say that word, whatever it's going to say. But like go to him and ask him for his favor. We don't have to go and say, can I have the inheritance? Like we're not running up on God and saying like, hey, can we sit down and talk about the future? Like after all things are set, like. Have you ever seen those, like, we, like we, we read about that kind of like with the prodigal son, right? He goes to his father and he's like, hey, I know you're about to, I know you're going to die one day, and I have all that stuff coming then, but can we kind of negotiate something now? Like, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go to God and say, hey, I need, can you, can you tell me what I'm going to have? It says that God's the one who said, I want to give this to you. But it says that we have an inheritance, an inheritance in Christ. God promises us an inheritance. I don't know about you, but for me, like, I grew up in a family that I, I don't, like, inheritance. I've inherited a lot of drama. <laughs> like, I've, inherit, I've, I've inherited, like, a lot of baggage. I've inherited, like, I got, I got a lot of, like, I probably got a bunch of generational sin that I've inherited. And a lot of, like, like we ain't got nothing. Like, somehow, like, it skipped, like, past, like, I know some future, like, some past generations of my hats and stuff. But, like, for me, like, my generation, it, like, skipped, like, like somehow, we like, like a few generations back, like there's no inheritance. Like, inher like inherit what? Right? And we think of that, that's actually kind of some of the, maybe I think it's because one of the things, I'm, I'm trying, should I go on this trail? Little second, two second rabbit trail, right? But it could be potentially because one of the things that has changed in our culture, right, is we've become more individualistic and we don't think about, like, what's coming after us. We don't think about our, the generations coming after us. We think, like, it's mine, spend it all before I die, live it up, right? But an inheritance? For some of us, we don't even know what that means, <clears throat> I remember seeing somebody, there was, a, there was a woman who was real close to our family whose, whose mom died and she left her an inheritance. And, but the inheritance that she left her, like, she didn't have much either. But I remember her thinking, like, her mom, like, her mom went and gave her, like, she set something up to, like, give her, like, is just something, right? And it was like, like, it was like the, the mom had a rough life and they had a rough thing, but she, like, at the end of her life was like, let me try to find something. I don't even remember. It was like, it was like a few grand. It was like not much. But it was like her mom saying, I want to like give you something and leave you something. I remember the honor that came to her. I remember, I remember this woman actually like giving some of that money away in order to actually see. I remember coming to me and saying like, hey, I just, there's some vision that you had in your life that I think that you're supposed to do. Here's some, I want to give you some money from this inheritance in order to see this happen in your life. And I remember thinking the honor of what that meant. Like, whoa. And then you see some people who are left with like, who are stewards over massive empires and they're left with this and you think like, like consider the weight and the beauty of an inheritance. This passage says what Paul wants them to see as he's saying, as he's bringing them to the gate, to the door of the kingdom, he calls them to peek in through the window and he says, look, you have an inheritance. And consider the weight and beauty of it. The first thing is it wasn't yours in the first place. The thing about an inheritance is it wasn't yours. You didn't own it. You didn't work for it. It's a gift. And it's something to steward. 
And if the inheritance is full of abundance, there is a confidence that is offered to those without, a, that it, those without an inheritance don't have. Like, think of what Paul is showing us. You have an inheritance. Maybe you've received an inheritance and you realize, like, man, there's just some things that you don't stress about because you know your future is secure because your family have set you up. Like, there's something, there's a peace that that, that that gives you that is a gift from those who've gone before you. And Paul says, God has given us an inheritance. And if you are in Christ, what the Apostle Paul wants you to know in this passage is that you are heirs to all that which belongs to God. Consider what that means for your life. He doesn't just call you subjects. The king of the universe says you are fellow heirs with him and everything he owns is, you, is yours and you are fellow heirs with the king and all that he has to offer. Consider what that means in a life that is always unsatisfying. In a life that when you go after things, it keeps coming up short. It gives us hope in the meantime, and that's the hope that Paul wants us to have. And then the second promise we see that Paul uh, gives us here is in verse 13 through 14. He says, in him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of of his glory. It says that God promises us his Holy Spirit as the seal of his promise, the guarantee of our inheritance. God's inheritance is not like a key to a lockbox that you're going to go in, that you get to open at the end of your life or at the end of when something happens. He's not giving you like just a key that when you go open it and you find out whatever you got in there. That's not what he's giving you. He's not giving you the deed to a land that you cannot indwell. The inheritance that God is giving you is not something that's not tangible, not something that you can't feel, but it's, it, instead, what he says he gives us, our heritage is made sure by God's presence in our lives now. So Paul says two promises rooted in this, this great hope is one, that he's given you an inheritance, and two, he'll be with you right now to show you what it's like when, he's the, when it's all coming to pass. In both of these promises, what is Paul saying? And I think this is the simple message that God has for us today. Paul is saying that it is right and wise to value the things of God. <clears throat> Paul is saying it is right and wise to value the things of God. In a world that's presenting tons of other values and competing uh, different ideologies that says, if you do this, then everything will be great. Paul is saying, look, check it out. I know I'm calling you into a world that is radically opposed to God and his plan and his purposes. And I know that it's going to be difficult and you're going to suffer even on this behalf. And I know that you're going to be tempted to lie when they drop the hangers, when you told them, when you didn't put on the, the safety thing, right? Like, I know you're going to be tempted to do this because you don't know. Because the way that the world works is that people don't take care of you. Leaders don't protect you. Everything that you get comes up short. Your body wastes away. I know what it's like to be human and to be like you. And I know you're going to be tempted to not 
place all your trust and all your hope in the hands of God. But I want you to see that number one, your future is secure in Christ. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, that nothing can touch, that God gave to you because he wanted you to have. Your future is secure and it's rooted in this great plan to bring all things new. So, and, and he's giving you his Holy Spirit as a deposit, promising you, walking with you, saying, I'll do it with you. Your future is secure and when all of the world is made new, you'll be there with me. So then in this life, at this time, in the values that you make, in the values that you possess, in the decisions that you make, it's right and wise to value the things of God. He was saying it to the Ephesians in the midst of the turmoil that they would experience, and he's saying it to us today. If so, what does that mean for us today? We see it in two forms in this passage. The first one is a repeated, uh, 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 a repeated phrase that he says over and over again. He says, you have been given this for the praise of his glory. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to understand what that means. What that means is this. When you, like simply put, it's like this. It's when you, when you, are, when you are praising God's glory, it's, it's, it's agreeing with God that his presence is right. That the things that God has for you, that the things that he has, it's, 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 it's living your life in such a way that's in line with what God has for you in the world around you. And he says it over and over again. I want you to know that it's wise to live to the praise of God's glory. I want you to know that it's wise to live as if what God is, is doing in the world is right. And the second, way, the second uh, thing he gives us here, he says that it's found in belief. He says, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Brothers and sisters, it's not simply okay to just profess faith in Jesus without living as if you believe. And what the Apostle Paul wants them to know is this. Hey, I know what you're going go to go through here, but believe. And, that, and, and, and when we talk through how, what, the, what the word believe means in Scripture, it's not like what believe means in our world. We've talked about this before. I've, I've mentioned this before. It's not just intellectual understanding. It's not grasping a concept. It's when the, the thing that you are believing in, it, it carries such a substance in your life that your whole life is marked by it. Belief is lived out in action. Belief is something that is, 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 baby, is basically intellectually conceptualized and grasped, but is also something that you may not even be able to explain, but you can't do anything but are compelled to live it out. And Paul says, you receive this inheritance when you believe. And finally, I think Paul gives us a path to belief. You may be sitting here today and saying, how do I believe? And that path is revealed in the way that he's calling these believers in this past passage to steward the life that he's given them. Number one, uh, he ponders the things of God. If you're here today, are you pondering this? Like, is this just kind of going through? Is it going through... Um, is, it, is it going through your mind? Is it going through your ears and just kind of like, 
All right, what's next? When you, when, you, when you come every single Sunday, when you encounter the people of God, are you pondering those things? Are you sitting with them? Are you saying, are you allowing the God of the universe to search you and say, God, is this true of me? What the Apostle Paul wants them to do in this passage for, for their good is the number one, to ponder. To ponder the promises of God. And as you ponder the promises of God, it leads you to hope. It leads you to hope as you encounter the person of God in his promises. And finally, it ends with confidence when you receive God's spirit. You know, I, I, I'm in tons of environments all the time with people who, who are, are, are non-Christians, who don't, who don't believe uh, what he, us here at the commons believe. I encounter people all day long who actually mock the faith of Jesus at times. And, and who sit and ask question after question and say, man, like, like how do I, like, like, tell me, like, answer this. Can you give me an answer for that? Can you give me an answer for this? Do you, do you know how to explain this to me? And, there's, and at times there's a right place for that, right? Like there's a right place for the, the, uh, the biblical discipline of, or, or the Christian discipline of apologetics, right? Like there's, there's a right time for going that, down that path. But there are some things that I have learned that I can't explain I can't explain in words. I, all I can say is, I just know Jesus, and I've experienced him. I've experienced the Spirit of God, and he convinces me. He testifies to my soul that this is true. He testifies to my soul that this is true. And the truth is, if you're here today, and, and you're questioning, God, do I give everything to you? Do I place your values above my values. Do I follow you with all that I have? The only thing I can say is the only confidence that you'll get is when you actually live that out and experience God's presence with you. And he will testify to your soul over and over again that this is right. So as we go today, I leave you with a question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Is your hope rooted in the promises of God? Are your values aligned with the God of the universe? And has the Spirit of God testified to you that he is true? If not, I invite you today to believe. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we need your help. We need your We need your presence, God, to show us the things that are true. God, I pray today, even as we're sitting in this room and in, a, in, the, in the midst of even just a little bit of a tumultuous beginning, Lord, that, that brings us to, to question things. Lord, two weeks in a row, Lord, week by week, Lord. Lord, what are you saying even in that twice? Lord, as we ponder these things, Lord, would you help us to believe? God, would you give us the courage even right now to repent and turn away from the things in our lives, God, that are, that, are, that are leading us away from you? And would you give us the strength, God, to follow you with all that we have? It's in your name we pray.